Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Ivan Barrett. Ivan is a multifamily syndicator who specializes in large apartment communities in the Midwest. Since 2015, Ivan has raised nearly $100 million in equity and has acquired over 4,000 units and manages nearly $430 million in syndicated uh, real estate assets. So thank you so much for being on the show, Ivan. Hey, it's good to be here, Charles. Thank you for having me. I'm going to have to update that bio. We'll, we will... Uh... We're looking to deploy 56 to 75 million of fresh equity this year. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. I think, think that'll put us up to 150, 175 or so by the end of the year. Awesome. Fantastic. And that's all throughout the, the Midwest? Throughout the Midwest. Yeah. That'll put us close to 5,000 units uh, and uh, over half a billion in, in assets under management. We buy institutional quality assets these days. So the price per pound is a, a little bit higher than when I when I first started in the business. Interesting, interesting. So give us a little background on yourself, uh, personally yeah. and professionally, prior to getting involved with real estate and syndication. Well, there's not much to me prior to real estate as an adult. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a lucky guy, man. I, I had a dad that owned rental properties. I had an uncle that owned, uh, an uncle that didn't graduate his sophomore year of high school. Mm. Um, but was very successful in business with uh, car washes, gas stations, and commercial real estate. And I had another uncle that owned a couple small apartment buildings as a realtor. Mm. Um, and I was lucky enough to be graduating high school when Rich Dad Poor Dad came out. My dad gave me that book and uh, he was a big fan of that. And so I, I had some really early uh, influences in real estate. Um, and really, you know, I thought it would be easy. I, I thought, wow, why wouldn't you just own a lot of real estate, watch the rent checks come in? And, and so I was very attracted as a, a lazy, you know, teenager, early 20s kind of guy thinking it would be easy. <laughs> Turns out it's a real job, uh, but basically started very small, got my foot in the door uh, with a local developer outside of college, really um, mentored under him or menteed under mm -hmm. him for several years before starting my own company back in 2010. Started with the duplex, man. Uh, mm. um, all back, all back when uh, started started from the bottom. Nice, interesting. So, with that duplex, uh, how did that work out? Did you you bought it with an FHA loan and uh, you rented it out and house acted it? I did. I did not want to be a landlord at the time. I always wanted to own mm -hmm. big deals, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but my dad was like, "Hey, man, um, if you want to go buy a house, you're on your own. But if you buy a duplex, live in one side, rent out the other. House hack a duplex, they call it now." Mm -hmm. I'll match on the down payment. And of course, uh, low down payment with FHA, uh, I was off to the races. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, same thing uh, with me. Uh, my dad wanted me to get into it and uh, I didn't really want to do it. I was just getting out of college and he kind of pushed me into it and I got a triplex, which I still own today. And, uh, but nice. it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something you really want to do when you're in your twenties. I mean, <laughs> no, I didn't want to be a landlord. Be a landlord no. I wanted to be a, a fancy, you know, big time developer. I graduated business school with a degree in finance and real estate, you know, and thought I was going to go straight into the big leagues. Uh, which mm -hmm. turned out to be not the case. So I had to, had to eat some humble pie along the way. 
So tell us about your transition from 2010 to starting your, your uh, starting syndicating assets, I guess, in 2015. Uh, why did you make the change into going into larger assets? And uh, how did you, what was your first deal that you did um, going that direction? Sure. So for me, my path to financial freedom was I started a management company first. I finally figured mm -hmm. out that if I was willing to do uh, what I hated, I would be able to one day do what I love. Another saying, you know, do today what others won't. So you can do tomorrow what others can't. Uh, and I figured a really good way to scale up a, a real company was to start managing property for others. Absolutely still hated, um, you know, personally managing yeah. uh, tenants and toilets and, and being basically the linchpin for everything as a one-man operation in the beginning. But knew that I could, I could scale that business uh, much faster than only buying real estate. So I was... Mm. Just getting these little management contracts, single family homes, uh, duplexes, condominiums, lots of landlords by, uh, by necessity back in those days because they were underwater on mortgages uh, mm -hmm. and in investors that owned a few smattering of units started getting some small apartment buildings. And at the same time, I, st I learned how to, um, I learned the Burr method before it was, mm -hmm. it was Burr. Um, it was just buy, renovate, rent, uh, refinance and repeat, right? I don't, I don't yeah. think I left out any R's, <laughs> but I started doing that on smaller multifamily deals uh, using private hard money. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I started um, buying small apartment projects. I bought a few of those. Big deal was was thirty five units, thirty units, uh, just with one or two investors and an operating agreement. Um, and then, in actually, in in fourteen or fifteen, I, I forget exactly where uh, the first what I would call a, a, a true syndication with the PPM um, uh, was the, uh, the next one I, I was able to grab. And that had always been the plan, uh, Charles. But again, yeah. you know, a couple of years had gone by. It's 2008 and I'm not any closer to my goals. And I finally, you know, dropped the ego and said, I, I, I'm going to stop worrying about doing big deals. I'm just going to focus mm -hmm. on doing the next deal. As long as it's multifamily, two units or more, mm -hmm. I'm going to start putting some deals together and build some momentum. And that's how it worked. I started with duplexes. Then I bought a triplex. Um, my first big apartment deal was six units. I bought mm -hmm. off a bank back in, in 29 uh, or 10, I think. Nice. Then bought a few deals with some, with some investors in my, in my network. Uh, then started syndicating. Shortly thereafter that, bought my first site-managed deal at 112 units. Shortly after that, um, I partnered up with a guy in the business um, who is the exact opposite of me, much smarter, <laughs> much better, much better operator. Uh, and it's been a beautiful partnership ever since. And um, we both do very, very well in our respective lanes together. Um, we are greater than the sum of the parts. And it allowed us to bend the growth curve and get to where we are today, 11 years later, sometimes seems like yesterday. Other times it seems <laughs> like a, a much longer period, uh, but that's what's really helped us scale up um, primarily from 2015 as syndicators uh, to where we are today in, in 2021. When you were making that transition, you're getting a partner, you're building out a team. How did you have to switch your mindset from small multifamily deals into I need to partner. I just can't, you know, spin all these plates myself. Yeah, I love that question. Oftentimes, as a as an entrepreneur, and at the time I was a solopreneur, mm -hmm. 
I think I got up to about 70 units or so that I was literally managing by myself. I had a bookkeeper that came in every other week and everything else fell on me. And if I had a time machine, I would have done it differently. But what I had to realize is there's these points or these inflection points in your career as a, as a entrepreneur that you have to recognize what got you here won't get you to where you want to go next. And so back then I had to learn, listen, people are going to be harder managing teams, hiring, firing, hiring, firing human resources, right? It's such a key to growing a good, a good, strong company that doesn't, um, that doesn't just burn out the entrepreneur, right? You can't, you can only work so hard. So you have to matriculate, you have to evolve into becoming uh, a business owner. And people makes the real estate look easy most days. But I just decided that I I was going to have to do it if I wanted to be a a big company or as as Robert Kiyosaki would say, a B quadrant business, a real business. I had to figure it out and recognizing that it was going to be difficult. I was going to make mistakes, um, get hit in the mouth, right? Knocked down. All I had to do was just not quit, get back up and and try again and and figure out what I did wrong and (laughs) hopefully not make the same, the same mistake more than once or twice. Um, and, and that really has fed a lot of my career is finding these times to reflect and, and look at, okay, what needs to be cut out? What needs to be added? What got me here that won't get me to the next phase? Yeah. Interesting. Great. That's uh, great information. So what, how does your team look now? You, I was, uh, when I was doing research, for the, this episode, uh, looking through all the different parts of it. Now, you guys are self-managing your whole, all your properties. Is that correct? That's correct. In the beginning, uh, we, we have roots in property management. As I mm-hmm. said, we, we grew a management company first. Uh, today, it's BAM is three companies. It's capital, uh, construction, and still management, the core of our business. But we, we manage everything. We've, we've got now 120-ish full-time employees everything from groundskeepers and leasing agents all the way up the, the management uh, org chart up to here at corporate. Um, and then we've got a, a capital asset management, legal uh, acquisitions team, marketing administration here, as well as our construction brain, uh, our head of mm-hmm. construction, his, um, his lieutenants in project management and uh, regional maintenance as well. Interesting. So when you're putting together everybody, I mean, would you do this again with starting with management beef? Uh, I mean, you started with doing a management <laughs> company because I have a lot, there's a lot of big operators out there and they'll start with buying properties, having it third party managed, and then bring start a, or buy a management company. And uh, it's not really a big profit center. It just gives them more control. So. Yeah. If I had to go back in a time machine, I would still, I would still start managing deals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not something I would necessarily want to do again on my own. I, I'd grow it faster this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not a profit center, although it does. It is profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is more of a, a loss leader, and I'm a control freak in that way. I think that in order to have the best uh, possible returns, at least for me, I'm not disparaging anyone that doesn't do it this way. Certainly, many have been successful um, in other ways, but for me, it was the right move. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, mean, we don't you, do third-party management anymore. We 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 sort of uh, amputated that vestigial <laughs> limb uh, once we got up enough escape velocity to where we didn't need that income anymore. So now we only manage assets where we have a GP or general partnership controlling okay. interest. 
Okay, nice. So yeah, that's great. So everything is self-managed only yourself and uh, you guys aren't doing any, but we happen to think very highly of our management team. So we don't want to deploy them um, to, and put them to use if we're not seeing any of the, of of the upside. And plus Mm -hmm. we've got our way of doing it. We, 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 uh, we don't want to answer to anyone else. The the BAM way is our way. And we really uh, don't have time to explain ourselves to, to uh, absentee or uh, not absentee, but uh, outside ownership. We, we like uh, having our own control, our own destiny. Yeah, that's great that you guys did have that though initially. So I imagine it helped you with scaling up your uh, bringing on people and scaling up because now you have additional income that's taking care of all these expenses uh, because you're using, you were when you're providing to uh, third party property management to other companies and other investors. So yeah, it worked, it worked yeah. for me. It yeah. worked. Got to make a lot of mistakes small and early and learn from those mistakes before they got too big and damaging. Yeah. So when, you're, you're, you're buying all these properties this year, you're scaling up your portfolio and uh, where we are right now in the market cycle, how are you managing and minimizing risks when you're, when you're doing, when you're acquiring and you're working with a lot of institutional property. So I imagine, you know, we're, we're talking really compressed cap rates and B-class properties. So uh, if you can go into that and kind of show us, uh, tell us a little bit about how you guys are doing your underwriting and acquisitions right now. Yeah, sure. So I'll, uh- I think I'll start in reverse. We're, we're typically buying A minus B plus assets at this point. Uh, and we're looking for assets that are either relatively new or, or brand new, where we can take advantage of, of rising rents in the market, burning off concessions, um, where we can be more efficient in our operations. Um, that that's really our sweet spot right now. The returns are a little bit lower maybe than they've been in the past, still able to achieve a uh, uh, mid to upper teens IRR. Our goal is to do two to two and a half X on a five to seven year hold. Uh, but by taking a lot less risk, buying newer vintage assets, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to pull off. Um, having, having in-house management is pretty essential when we're buying say a 300 unit uh, project that's still in lease up. Mm. Um, but the cap rates aren't that much lower than some of the stuff you're seeing out there. That's, that's older, that's being yeah. bid up by less experienced groups. Yeah. And so we are going after a, a higher altitude or uh, asset class, still finding a value add, um, and delivering a, a superior risk adjusted return. I think the first half of your question though, I may, I may have missed or, or, or forgotten or what was the uh, first half? I just want this. Yeah, because, uh, well, it was great that you went into kind of your asset class and everything you're doing there, but how are you, are you taking, are you editing? How uh, else do we manage your under? Yeah. Well, yeah. You're editing your underwriting from where we are now uh, compared to where two years ago, where we were. And um, are you uh, kind of being a little safer with debt you're putting on properties with reserves you're allocating on properties is how have you changed? Because obviously we know yeah. there's going to be a pullback at some point. Yeah, we haven't changed whatsoever. Okay. I love this question. I mean, I got this in the middle of COVID. People said, how have you changed your underwriting? Guys were adding in negative rent growth and we, mm. we knew better. Yeah. Um, we, we, we placed a bet that, that workforce housing, you know, B plus, mm. A minus in suburban markets would be in more demand. What do you yeah. know? It, it worked out pretty well. Um, we have some of the best debt available in the market because of our size. And I'm just lucky enough to have a huge bank in my backyard headquartered here that I have deep relationships with the principals of that, of that group. They own a yeah. capital shop and they own a, a big bank. 
And so right now we're actually being more flexible on our financing because of, of such low interest rates mm -hmm. and bank financing allows for me to exit a deal in four or five years without a big prepayment penalty. How I nice. offset that for my investors is I'm personally guaranteed on those, on those debt vehicles. So I'm, I'm putting my balance sheet mm -hmm. right up against, um, you know, my, me and my partner uh, and taking that risk alongside the investor. Never been a better time to, to borrow uh, cash. Interest mm -hmm. rates aren't going up. Anybody that thinks they are um, is just flat out wrong. If you look at the demographics yeah. and the macro trends. Um, what else did I, did I leave out there? Reserves, they're pretty much the same. Um, we don't look at a deal until constructions run through it uh, along with our management team. So by having that internally, for us, it's not a game of, of nickels and dimes. It's a game of pennies. And we know right down to the penny uh, what things cost, what things we'll need in the future. And, um, you know, by buying some newer assets, those CapEx schedules are a little bit less intense as well. So um, with $100 million and now going to be about $150 to $160 million that you yeah. uh, have raised and put out into your, into your deals, what are some of the ways, I mean, obviously it's changed over the last several years uh, from when you started, but um, how, when you started, were some of the ways, effective ways you used for raising money and how are you doing it now? Is it much more institutional money you're taking in, private equity firms that you're partnering with? Nope. No, I, I, um, I'll, I'll go in reverse order here. I don't partner with the private equity firms. I don't partner with institutions. Um, we still raise capital from uh, high net worth and ultra nice. high net worth investors we're approaching 500 LPs. Some of those checks are 30, 40, 50 grand. And some of those checks are 5 million and, and everywhere in between. Um, I would tell any young aspiring real estate entrepreneurs or old, uh, new to the business, no matter what age, uh, there is so much wealth and value in your network that you're probably yeah. not even considering. And so early on, I would just, before I even had a CRM, I would make lists of people in my network that I, I knew and that I had trust with. Uh, that were successful, that I, I could get them out for a coffee or a lunch or now a Zoom call and just show them what I'm doing um, in more of a, hey, can I get some advice or what do you think um, kind of format versus a, a, a sales pitch, right? Mm -hmm. And so over the course of 2015, even to, you know, a couple of years ago, year ago, it's still a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations, thousands of one-on-one -on -one conversations with investors. There's no uh, secret sauce, no rocket science. It was just the daily discipline, the weekly, the monthly discipline of uh, utilizing my network, reaching out, following up, following up more and getting in front of people and having a conversation and remembering some will, some won't. So what, who's next? Um, it's, it's funny, you know, I've, I've had, I had somebody that's been on, well, I'll give you two examples, Charles. Um, my largest investor was a three-year conversation before he ever participated mm -hmm. in a deal. And now, um, he's probably got somewhere between 20 and 25 million with me. Wow. Um, I had somebody on my, uh, my slow drip list, not a, not a marketing list, but just somebody I would keep in contact with a couple of times a year. They were on that list for 10 years. Wow. Uh, and they just wrote a check for a million dollars for their first investment. So you just never know. Um, mm. I had a, an investor that, that we managed a few single property, uh, single family properties for him. Um, I had a few of these, one of which he fired us. 
he said, hey, I'm going to send it to this other cheaper group. Um, and he fired us. And we said, hey, have a great journey. Hope, hope to see you again. Kept him uh, on the marketing slow drip, you know, a touch every now and then. And four years later, um, he's invested with me for a couple million bucks. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's all these things that we know and learn. I would tell any entrepreneur, you probably already know half of what I'm saying, but just the, the constant attention to it. Um, if you're not good at sales or even heck, even if you are listening to some sales training, listening to some sales books, how to influence people, right? Um, it's not this magical thing I do once a week. It's these little things I do daily. Just like if, uh, if you want to get in shape, Charles, you want to, you want to get six pack abs or you want to be, uh, you want to train for a marathon. You don't train once a week for a, a marathon. You train pretty much every day and you follow a, a disciplined program. And it's just these little, these little things we do along the way that it eventually over time add up. And just to say one more thing on that, you know, even today, our single greatest source of new investors is existing investors who we've treated well, we've taken care of, we've delivered returns, and they've referred us to, to friends and family. That's still a huge source. Uh, my father as an attorney built a, a, a book of business uh, that way. Some things don't change. Yeah. The problem is most people just don't want to put in the time to do it. Right. Yeah. They're looking for the easy button. Yeah. And yeah. private equity is an easy button, Charles. All you have to do, they'll give you all the money you ever need, right? All you have to do is sell your soul. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's great. It's uh, it's great. You have 500 LPs to raise that much money. I mean, um, that's fantastic. It's doing the right things consistently, right? I mean, that's kind of what it comes Every down day. to. It's doing the right yeah. things consistently. Yep. There's no secret sauce. It's really just the the blocking and tackling and the daily discipline of, of, uh, of being uh, pursuing mastery in your craft. So uh, you've been in real estate investing for decades. I imagine you've spoken to hundreds of different investors. What are common mistakes you see other real estate investors make? Well, let's let's see here. First, are we talking investors or operators? I would say uh, operators. I would say people that are yeah. uh, going to be putting some of their money in, hopefully, and, uh, and then also operating the deal. Yeah, so... Um... I think everyone out there listening should, should decide for the, he or, or she themselves if they're going to be an operator or an investor. Many folks out there you call yourself a real estate investor, but you're an operator. You're not an investor. Figure it mm -hmm. out. Um, investors, I, I see mistakes um, often. I think if you're going to go outside of your, of your network of people you already know and trust to, to participate in private placement memorandums, you should look at a lot of deals before you do one. Right. Um, operators, uh, we could, we could do a whole podcast three hours long on all the mistakes I've personally made. I've, I've made every one of them. Um, analysis paralysis, right. Um, uh, early on in a couple of those early deals, you know, I thought I would, um, I thought I would make improvements out of cash flow. Definitely. Um, <laughs> glad I learned that lesson on a, on a, on a small deal. I think right now, uh, back to everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people looking for a shortcut. People are in such a hurry to get in a deal um, that they cut corners. One thing sooner or later that's going to happen, I think, is that um, some deals are going to start not working out. Um, there's already some out there. You probably run across them. 
I would, I would caution the equity aggregators out there to really be careful on who they partner with on the operating side. Um, it's really easy to partner with a bunch of people and everybody bring a couple million bucks to the pool and syndicate a deal. But remember, you're putting your name on that deal. And if that deal's not under your control and something goes wrong, you've lost all that goodwill with friends and family. And friends and family is really the foundation, your own network, that's really the foundation of your equity uh, raising efforts because those are the folks that are gonna participate um, out of trust and, and likability of you. Down the road, you know, we, we become a 506C, we generally solicit, we're on different advertising channels, um, but none of that would have happened if I, hadn't, if I hadn't built a really strong foundation in my own network. I think I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but I'm happy, happy to go on more on mistakes anytime. No, that's great. That's, uh, it's fantastic to get that, um, I, I, that's to make the differentiation as well between the investor and the operator, because everybody throws around investor, but they don't really differentiate between I'm an operator, I'm an investor as well, or I'm an investor. So um, I would say, you know, the, one other thing just to tack on, I would say um, financial education. I've seen a lot mm -hmm. of investors out there that, 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 uh, that, that could use more of a, of a foundation of financial education. Go out there and, uh, you know, interview some of these guys and, and read a lot of deals and, and read some real estate dictionaries and really understand the, the verbiage, the, the, um, um, the concepts, the, the finance and the math really isn't that hard. You know that mm. it's just, it's just repetition of, of understanding how the numbers work and, and really get a, a good grip on that and underwrite, underwrite, underwrite as an investor, unless you know, you've got a, a personal relationship with somebody. If you start underwriting a lot of deals similar to looking for an income property that you're going to manage yourself, you look at enough of them, you start to develop what I call a fingertip feel for what a good deal is versus a mediocre or a bad deal. That's interesting. It's funny because yesterday I had a conversation with a potential investor and uh, he's an engineer and he was telling me he's invested in other, other deals and stuff like this. And he, uh, he said, like, oh, I'll send you out what we did for our last deal and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, oh, send me out the PPM, send me out the underwriting. And I was like, oh, that's great. I mean, it's, it's really thorough. I mean, that's how you really have to vet it where you're seeing previous deals, underwriting and assumptions. And you're looking at exactly how our attorney structure stuff. And you're like, that's a very thorough, no one, you know, that's a very rare thing uh, people ask for that type of thing. They just, oh, send out the uh, offering memorandum, right? And sure. let me just see what it looked like the other deal. And people are really happy with that. But um, the actual underwriting, I mean, you're like, oh, that's, you're actually really doing your due diligence on the underwriting team, which is, which is what you should be doing, but which uh, most people don't, I don't think so. Yeah, as an operator, if you can have that handy right away when somebody asks for more maybe customized um, exhibits, right? Occupancy sensitivity, cap rate, exit sensitivity, some more details, trailing 12 versus your budget, you know, the more detailed mm -hmm. underwriting, if it's ready to go at, the, at a moment's notice when someone asks for it, that's a really good, um, a really good front to, uh, to show. Uh, potential investors that you you're ready to anticipate and deliver uh, th those sorts of materials without having to spend um, you know without too much time passing like you haven't haven't thought of yeah. that ahead of time. So, what are the main factors that have contributed to your success, Ivan? Oh, that's a great question. I I think it really Charles goes back to that that daily discipline. Um, favorite quote of mine. Uh, it's that picture of Bruce Lee and it says, you know, I, I 
pray not for uh, a, uh, an easy life, pray for the strength to handle a difficult one. Mm. And so much of my success is it, it's mindset, it's daily discipline um, versus like being smarter than everybody else. And then really, if you want to go big in this business, people are so important. My team, the people, the executive team um, that um, now reports to my partner and COO of the company, they get so much credit for the execution of the portfolio. They, they're the ones that make me look good on these podcasts. They uh, have been phenomenal. We have core values that they hire to. We, I was lucky enough to find people early on that believed in growing a management company that people would want to work at uh, versus some of the management companies you might find out there. And to, to watch them now uh, take the reins and move this company forward is just so rewarding uh, as the founder. Awesome. Well, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? Uh, pretty easy to find. Um, my name's over here at the bottom. <laughs> B-A-R-R-A-T-T. Easiest way to find me would be bamcapgroup.com, bamcapgroup.com. Okay. I will put that link into the show notes. I want to thank you so much for coming on and uh, looking forward to connecting with you uh, in the near future. Likewise, Charles. Thank you for having me. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.